0: Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of Self Work, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And self-work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to self-work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been a therapist for over 25 years. And self-work is all about discussing current psychological and emotional issues in ways that help you understand and connect and maybe even think about getting some therapy yourself. Today is, is a, such a special day. I have two guests that I want to interview. It's taken us a few weeks to get together, so these women are busy. <laughs> We're going to be talking today about the organization This Is My Brave. In episode 25, actually, I participated in This Is My Brave here locally, and I gave you some information On the this wonderful nonprofit back then. But today we're going to really focus on the changes that this is my brave is making in our culture and the exciting research that Jennifer and Kristen are doing to validate what happens when people actually talk about their mental illness and how it can change someone's belief system when they actually hear live what happens. So let me introduce them just a moment. Jennifer Marshall, she's the co-founder and executive director of This Is My Brave, and I'll let her tell the story of how she came to create it. Actually, she and Anne-Marie Ames, who is the other co-founder, she has a personal blog, which is now jennifermarshall.me, which has been named the Healthline Bipolar Blog of the Year for four years in a row because Jennifer's also very open about having bipolar disorder. She was named Rookie of the Year finalist by WeGo Health. Her life and work has been featured on the Washington Post, in Oprah Magazine, Bipolar Hope Magazine, and all kinds of local news stations. She gave a TED Talk in 2016 called Mental Illness, Being Brave Saves Lives, and she was just awarded this incredible, very prestigious Clifford W. Beers Award by Mental Health America for how she's changing the lives of people with mental illness. Her colleague is Kristen Kosilic, who is a PhD and just moved to Florida from Texas. She's now the assistant professor in the Department of Mental Health Law and Policy at the University of South Florida. Kristen got her PhD in 2014, and even in her work in graduate school, she was very interested in research the elimination of barriers to recovery for individuals with psychiatric disabilities. And she has so enjoyed focusing on mental illness stigma. And again, I'll let her talk about more about her own work. They've been collaborating for over four years and came up with studies to again validate that the program, This Is My Brave, actually changes people's attitudes toward mental illness. Just a minute for a brief personal comment. If you've listened to Self Work, you know I talk openly about my own panic disorder, my history of anorexia, and a couple of bouts with fairly moderate depression I had many years ago. We have, as a culture, many ideas about mental illness that need to be changed, and hopefully this program will do that. We need to recognize that our neighbors, our friends, our kid's teacher, our lawyer, our pastor, or even our therapist can be managing mental illness rather than thinking about it as something that's weak or scary or always highly debilitating. It can be debilitating. If you've ever been in the room with me when I've had a panic attack, you'll know that. But so many people are managing their illnesses and doing a great job of it. So Jennifer and Kristen are here to talk about This Is My Brave and their research, and I could not be more delighted to have them. So I want to welcome Jennifer and Kristen. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us, Dr. Margaret. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk first, Jennifer, about This Is My Brave. I'm so interested in how it originated. I know, and I said in the intro that you had a co-founder as well. I would love for you to talk about your idea and how you created it, or how both of you created it, and a little bit, again, about opening up about your own bipolar disorder, which I think was the avenue through which all of this got started.
1: Sure. So it was back in the spring of 2013, when I was contacted by an editor from a parenting website, the book What to Expect When You're Expecting, they had a parenting section. And I had been blogging anonymously about living with bipolar disorder and raising my little kids. And she said, we love your writing, we want you to write for us. And I, and they were going to pay me. And so not a lot of people were paying for writing uh, back then. And there was just so many people blogging. But I said, Yeah, I want to do this. And it was then that I made the decision to write with my real name and just be myself and put it all out there. I thought, you know, um, I want to be authentic and I want to be able to talk about every part of me not just the shiny beautiful fun stuff. I want to talk about the hard stuff too and I want to do it openly. So I put my name on my first story and and I opened up on my blog and I had always been fearful about that uh backlash of what would happen. What would people say? What will they think? Um and none of that happened to me. I received this huge outpouring of support and gratitude from people who just were like, you know, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being open about this. I know someone or they would tell me their story sure, about their struggle. Sure. And, you know, I just thought this is, we're onto something here with this reciprocal, you know, me too. And yeah. you know, mental health, me too. me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I mean, now it's the me too movement, I'm like, this is so much what we're about too, because that's what happens. People tell their story and other people come and want to talk about it. So I had this concept of celebrating people who were going through mental health issues, but who had found ways to live successful lives. And I wanted to do it creatively and through a theater show. And so
0: I had the idea. such a great idea, because there's so many ways to express it, you know? Yeah. And
1: people who deal with these issues tend to be highly creative. So I was at a party and was introduced to uh, the woman who would become my co-founder, Anne-Marie. And when we met that night, um, she took one look at me and said, you're a bipolar mom. And cause she had been reading my blog. So she yeah. knew who I was, but had never met me. And I said, yeah, like that's, you're famous. Cool be,
2: well, <laughs> she makes me feel like I was.
1: So it was funny. And um, we got to talking in that whole night at this party for like, two or three hours we're standing there talking about mental health stuff and her struggles and her family and I said I'm about to launch this project and I really need help and would you want to help me and she said yes and I roped her in and she became my sidekick my partner and the first year we did that completely together that show and um, I remember she had a lot of hesitations in the beginning you know she was like I want to do this it's important I want to help you. But do you really think people are going to come forward? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I do. And we had to just trust it. And like we do now with every show we produce, but the people who are meant to be a part of it come forward and it's just the magic happens. So
0: that's kind of how it all got started. Where was the original program and where all have you been in the the interim? Yeah. So the original show is in Arlington,
1: Virginia, right outside D.C., and then the following year, so that was in 2014. In 2015, we went to six cities um, and we went back to Arlington. So, you know, six full shows and then all new people every time. And then the, in 2016, we went to nine different cities across the U.S. And last year... We were in 15 cities in the U.S. and two
0: cities in Australia. I remember I reached out to produce one, and there was already someone in the area that wanted to produce one. So I missed out on that. (laughs) That We'll get you someday. (laughs) Oh, there you go. There you go. That is great. Well, what feedback have the people that have participated or – and, of course, this is actually what Kristen is here for as well. But I wonder how they've talked about their experience, the people who actually have shared – what they're struggling with, what they're managing, whatever they want to call it.
1: They're sharing everything from, you know, stories about depression and and PTSD and OCD, mm-hmm. bipolar, um, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, addiction, alcoholism, uh, everything in between. And um, we even had a few people share about conditions like trichotillomania yes. that are just, really people don't know I had For no people idea. who don't
0: know what that is that is pulling your hair an- anxiously, obsessively pulling your hair out
1: Yeah, and skin picking I mean, S- Oh that's right, disorders. skin picking as
0: well mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that when you shine a light on them, people can better understand them and understand that that's an illness, it's not the person and
0: they can better support that person. And it's not the Hollywood version of that. Right. So tell me how the two of you, Kristen, got involved and, because you're a researcher, basically, and so how did the two of you link up. Um,
2: so the bulk of my research has been in evaluating stigma change programs, you know, going back to my days in graduate school. Um, I studied under uh, Pat Corrigan at the Illinois Institute of Technology. Okay. Um, and so Jen had a very and I want to say that and stress this, a very responsible goal as the executive director of a stigma change program to do two things, to see whether, you know, whether her program was making a difference in stigma, whether it was moving the needle, um, but also to make sure that, you know, there were no unintended consequences of the programming.
0: Wow. Because sometimes that's, that's very important. important. Sure.
2: Absolutely. Sometimes people with all the best intentions will deliver stigma change programs that, you know, they might help in some ways but harm in others. Um, and let me stress, that's not the case with This Is My Brave. And we know that because of the the work that we've been doing together. Um, so Jen uh, reached out to uh, Pat Corrigan, uh, who said, you know what, I have a I have a former graduate student who would be an excellent person for you to, to talk with about this. Mm, cool. um, and so that was the beginning of our relationship. So um, from from there, you know, Jen and I had an initial meeting where I, w- I wasn't familiar with This Is My Brave at the time. And um, I feel really fortunate to have, be- have become intimately familiar with the program. Certainly not to the level that Jen is. Um, but, you know, I really... Um, I admired what she was doing, um, both as a person who's open about her own lived experiences. I think first and foremost, that's what I admire about Jen, but also that she has taken her experiences um, and channeled them into this programming. So, you know, I just asked her, I said, well, what is it that you want to know about? This is my brave. Um, And she said, well, are we making a difference when it comes to stigma uh, amongst our audience? And how do you
0: measure that? Right. Right.
2: How do you measure that? Right. Um, And so, you know, we have batteries of measures, just meaning, you know, sets of measures that we can use to see whether stigma is changing. Um, We also measure things like empowerment, like beliefs that people with mental illness should have control over their own lives. Sure. Uh, Beliefs that people with mental illness are capable of recovery. Um, and then, obviously, linked to all of this is willingness to seek care if one is experiencing mental health concerns.
0: Well, you know, I was so excited about the study. I, I knew that I, when I began the podcast and when I started interviewing that I wanted to interview Jennifer. But when I saw the study, I just said, oh, my gosh, this is an integral kind of part of knowing that not just that you're doing this, but that you're doing this and it is it is extremely effective, and is changing people's, um, attitudes. So I was wowed and said, Oh, I've got to have you both on.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm humbled to be here and, you know, um, but Jen, Jen really does the magic. I just am excited that I've had the opportunity to help her to demonstrate to the, to the world really that, you know, her programming is making a difference.
0: Sure. So what were your major outcomes? Okay.
2: Um, so uh, the first, speaking about that you read was what we call a pilot study, meaning, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the gold standard for research is what we call a randomized controlled trial. You know, jargon aside, all that means is it's a very rigorous research design so we can more strongly make claims about what difference the program is making. Sure. We were not able to do that in this case because um, these are audiences. These are people coming to see these performances, right? And in randomized research, you send some people to watch the performance and others don't get to have that experience, right?
0: The poor freshmen um, in college have to do this all the time.
2: Yes, they do. <laughs> right.
0: They have to participate in randomized studies.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, in the real world, it's very difficult
2: oftentimes to do those types of research designs. So, what Jen and I did is we uh, printed front and back on, on pieces of paper, um, questions that are uh, validated measures, okay, so that means that they've been used in other research studies, and we know that they are, in fact, assessing stigma or recovery or empowerment or treatment seeking,
0: right.
2: um, and we know that they're doing it reliably, meaning that any change that we see is as a result of the, of the intervention or the performance in this case. Um, So we assessed people in terms of their level of stigma. So an example of a question that measures that is so
0: where they started out. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm.
2: Before they they participated in the performances or watched the performances and then again afterwards so that we could compare their scores and see if they change. So obviously we want to see a reduction in stigma, whereas we want to see an increase in willingness to seek help. Um, and in fact, what we did find with this pilot study, um, it was—it's it's a fairly large study. So we, we were we gathered over 400 surveys at various. This is my brave performances across the oh, nation. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't able to use all of our data, and that usually happens with research. Um, but we were able to use 370 something responses. And right. what we did find overall is that when it came to stigma um, from before watching the performance to after watching the performance, people were less stigmatizing. Uh, When it came to beliefs about empowerment, they believed people with mental illness should be more empowered. They had improved beliefs that people with mental illness were capable of recovery. Um, And then finally, they had improved attitudes towards seeking care. So in in all areas this is my brave was moving the needle
0: So Jennifer when you actually saw the results of these questionnaires or these the surveys what was that like for you to realize hey not only does this idea is this idea important to me but I can see that it is making a difference
1: Yeah I mean it was incredibly validating to get the results um, and not only that though I kind of I guess I just had a trust that it would come through, that those results would come through. Mm. But the other thing was that it's great to have the proof on paper. We always need that. But I had also proof from people who th- what they share with you after they see the show. I mean sure. I try to network with everyone, all the audience members afterwards and I mean, you come to the, almost
0: all the shows, haven't you, all over the place?
1: I try, yeah. If I can with my schedule, but the very first show was where I before I even got um, in touch with Kristen I knew that there was that reaction that there was that feeling of if these people can get through this, I can too, from the audience. I just knew that it would make a difference. And one of the reasons was a woman came up to me after the first show in the lobby and said, hi, Jen, like I'm Susan. I drove all the way from Philly to see your show here in DC. And I found your blog when I was in my darkest moments And your writing saved my life. And I wanted to, you know, be here today to see the show too and to support this. And, you know, knowing that when we put our stories out there, first of all, you don't really know. In the show, you know who will see it because you have your audience there. Right. But when you put your stories out on the blog or you put your video out on social media. Or YouTube or wherever. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Right. And the thing is, the results could be, you know, that hundreds of people see it in their dark moments and it saves them. So that's what I feel like what we're doing is so important because these, we do professionally videotape all the shows and we do save them on our YouTube channel and we can measure views,
0: but you can't always measure you know, no, that there are many responds. people who would never like it. <laughs> I've certainly uh, experienced that on my own website that people will even email me and say, I've read your stuff for years, but I've never liked anything or commented because I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> so, yeah, that, yeah, that's understandable. And so that's, you just never know the size and the, not just the quantity of the audience, but what they're going through and how it's affecting them. So it's a great point. So... When people have come to audition, what have they said to you that is the hardest thing for them? Or is there anything that pops in your head that is a fairly common comment or concern for people? I mean, you just said, well, I don't know who's going to hear this. I'm not sure. Is that overwhelming for people? Or are they just in a place in their life and in their work with their own mental illness that they just feel They really feel ready to do it. In fact, they feel a calling to do it. I think the
1: majority of people who come out for our shows to participate as a storyteller are at that point where they're just Mm -hmm. ready and they've reached um, a certain place in their recovery that they feel that they want to give back. I think that's the number one reason people want to do our show is to make a difference with their story and you know what's interesting too is that these stories aren't they're unique to the storyteller but the conditions are not unique okay so how many millions of people struggle with bipolar disorder like I have how many millions suffer from depression and anxiety and then you know there's the lesser common illnesses but there you know so many people struggle with similar issues and when you hear these stories they are unique to the storyteller, but there's so many common threads that go through them. So um, it, that's what's neat about it too. But I think that they come forward when they're ready. Um, we do occasionally get people who come forward and they're not quite ready. Yes, and you can exactly. You tell they're 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 just not. Confident enough yet in their story, and a lot of times those people come back and they audition the next year and they're in the show.
0: I was in the Bentonville show, uh, the initial show in Bentonville, and what and I had talked openly about panic disorder and my anorexia years ago and and all of that stuff. But when I got in that room and I was talking to real people, I got very emotional. In fact, I got emotional during the performance itself. There's just something very very different about Feeling very seen, and and in a in a personal, intimate way, that I've found healing, but it was harder, much harder than I thought. I thought, ah, oh, this will be a breeze, you know, because I've talked about it so much. But it was there was no breeze, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. I think a lot of people. Um, the neat thing about our shows too is it becomes like the cast of storytellers become their own little family and support Mm -hmm. each other through the rehearsal process. So you have the the support of your castmates behind you, but yeah, it's not easy to get up in front of a couple hundred people to tell your story. Um, But I think also the universal uh, feeling afterwards tends to be, I know for me, the very first time I shared my story on stage felt like this physical weight that was lifted off my shoulders afterwards.
0: So, Let's talk about the audience a little bit. I know you didn't do any pre, what was called pre-testing. I mean, for, one of the questions I had for y'all was that, are, are there any personality factors that tend to indicate whether someone would be more likely to change their perception of mental illness? and Or do you believe it's more of an experience factor? Either they've had mental illness, they have a family member with mental illness, uh, they have a best friend with mental illness. I mean, do you, did you look at any of the factors that would influence the audience itself to to change more or less?
2: So, yes, we did look at at factors that might be associated with somebody's um, Ability to change their their views, right? Uh So the main factor we usually look at in stigma change research is what you're referring to. It's called level of familiarity. So how much previous contact they've had with people with mental illness, ranging from you know they've never had an experience of interacting with the people with people with mental illness that they we should say that they know of, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and then on the other end of the continuum being I am a person with a serious mental illness or with a mental illness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we find is that uh, increases in level of familiarity are associated with more stigma
0: change. Yeah, that makes sense. Um,
2: And that's in line with uh, the idea that contact between people with and without mental illnesses um, is one of the most uh, powerful ways to address stigma. Um, And that's that's in line with other research for other uh, uh, groups that are discriminated against, like um, people of color, right? So the more contact you have with people um, who who are different from you, the more willing you are to be accepting of those groups.
0: So how do you see that um, people have actually tried to confront stigma and maybe there are approaches that work and maybe there are approaches that do not work?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So there's three, uh, for the most part, three main uh, approaches people take to addressing stigma. One of them is protest. So, you know, for example, if you see a stigmatizing representation of mental illness in a movie, right, Mm -hmm. you may go and boycott that movie. Um, Another is education. So that's typically with mental illness stigma, that's contrasting myths with facts. You know, uh, the myth is that people with mental illness are incapable of recovering. Right. But the, the fact is that people with mental illness um, lead meaningful lives and, and live well in recovery um, most of the time. Um, and so presenting people with those myths and facts uh, is education. And then the third, which this is my brave, um, it would be this, is a contact-based approach to stigma. So that's facilitating interactions between the general public or an And this is my brave audience. Right. And people who are quote unquote out with their mental illness um, and through contact people come to realize that uh, people with mental illness are just like every other person. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, what the research says is that protest isn't really effective for stigma change. Well, that's in interesting. Fact, it does. Yeah. In fact, it, it does the opposite in a lot of cases. Um, a, a good example is, think about a white bear, you know, don't, don't, don't think about a white bear, either, rather what's all you can think about a white bear. Um, the same thing happens when you tell people not to think the stigmatizing thoughts about others, right? Then all you can think about is those stereotypes. Education is effective, but research has demonstrated that contact um, at least with the adult population is the most effective form of stigma change.
0: Well, that's what this program's all about, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that makes just a lot of common sense. And I love the white bear comment. So uh, I'll be <laughs> thinking about white bears all day long. Um, <laughs> so lastly, what can people do if they don't have a, This Is My Brave in their area, or they don't know if they do or not, or if they'd like to get involved themselves as, as participants, if they'd like to give money if they'd like to just learn more how can they how can they do that
1: great question Dr. Margaret (laughs) we we have a form on our website on getting involved and you can fill out the volunteer form and we'll contact you with ideas on how to get involved there are plenty of ways you can submit a guest blog post which we consider for publication on our blog Um, we also accept applications for people who want to produce a show for their area and it doesn't take theater experience you just have to have a willingness to organize a fairly large community event um, because our shows do tend to draw you know 200 to 400 people per show so um, it's you know organizing the storytelling call for stories picking the cast, holding rehearsals, holding the show. And we provide all the support along the way. Uh, So if you're interested in that, there's an application on our website for that as well. Um, And then really viewing our, you know, our social media posts and our shares that we do there. We tend to, you know, share a lot of great information and our YouTube channel you can always view a past show if you haven't, you know, been to one yet, or if you can't get to one if there's not one close to you. All the past performances are on our channel, and you can share those and um, and view them right from your smart TV if you have one of those at home
0: or smartphone. And you started this with a Kickstarter campaign, but that is that's over, right? Because now you're a nonprofit, I guess you can't do that or something like that. yeah,
1: yeah, we were a Kickstarter the first uh, six months or so before we were able to convert to become a nonprofit. Um, so yeah, the idea was launched as a concept, and then once it was formed, um, and we had the funding, We were able to convert and become nonprofit, and we've been since 2014.
0: Oh, great! So people can give and then take it off their taxes. It's not. It's something that they can do because you are. You do have 501c status, so I think that's important. (laughs) And it's such a worthy cause, and it's going in great directions. You announced today something that is real exciting that's going to happen in the Washington D.C. area. I just happened to be on Facebook and saw it. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: We have been asked so many times to bring our program to high schools and to bring it to colleges. And we came up with an idea to pilot a high school program in the DC metro area. So we're going to try it. And um, it's, you know, it's tricky working with different populations, different age groups. I mean, teens are going through much different experiences than adults having lived with it for longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try it. We're going to try an approach where we have some of our young adult storytellers kind of craft a piece that would be geared towards high schoolers and come up with like a mini show that we can offer to some of our local high schools here to test it out. And we'll probably, if Kristen's willing to take on an extra little project could do like a pre and post survey. with Those high schoolers to see the impact. Um,
0: So we'll see what happens. Well, you know, I'm done some, podcasts here about how suicide is increasing and it's increasing in for a large percentage of teenagers so wow it's really important to try to reach them and any of you who may be listening and are interested please go to thisismybravest.org right this yep. is my brave.org and check it out. You may have had a presentation or a performance in your area. And if so, you can check it out on YouTube. Or if one is being formed, then you can certainly be supportive and go. <laughs> you may have one of these studies handed to you <laughs> when you walk in the door. But I want to thank both of you. As soon as I heard about this is my brave, I contacted Jennifer and thought, This is something that I want to support and be a part of. So my hat's off to both of you, and I hope that this podcast and the listeners here will support This Is My Brave. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Kristen.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Margaret.
0: I want to thank Jennifer and Kristen again. I hope you learned a lot about This Is My Brave in those interviews and the incredibly important research that they're doing so that people don't just say, oh, isn't that nice, but say, wow, there's proof. There's research that shows that this changes attitudes. I was so delighted to be a part of it myself last year. And again, you can check out episode 25 if you want to read my piece. So thank you for being here today. There's lots of ways to reach out to me. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I will answer your email. I'd love to hear your comments, your questions, because I want to get to know you. I want to know who's listening to self-work. So that again is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Thank you for those of you who have left ratings and reviews. It's how self-work gets more attention on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean. For those of you who've left comments on Podbean for some reason, I can't find a way to reply to you, but I want to thank you for that because I've noticed them and I really appreciate you letting me know what you think. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com and I write a blog post weekly and of course have a weekly podcast as well. And if you want to, you can subscribe and you'll get both of those in a weekly newsletter as well as my free ebook, Seven Commandments of Good Therapy. So please leave ratings and especially reviews. Those are really helpful to read and take about two seconds and you can be anonymous. You can subscribe as well to self work. And of course that really warms my heart because I realize people are waiting to hear the next episode of self work and that makes it all worth it. So thank you again. Thanks again to Jennifer and to Kristen. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self-Work.